guilt overcame her. She thought, he knows, he knows. If only he'll give me this last chance. I'll change, reform, make myself ugly so that I will be out of the reach of temptation. The sink smells again. I told you not to strain cabbage or cauliflower down, he said. Mora must have done it. Where is she? Kate said, relieved that his wrath was for the sink only. I don't know where she is, he said, as Kate advanced towards the well of the stairs and called to the young giggly servant with as much authority as she could muster. They had steamed fish and cauliflower. The fish had gone cold and Mora ruined the vegetables by overcooking them. Is it all right, Kate said, out of habit, as they sat at their accustomed places. He at one end of the mahogany table, she at the other. Cash and Mora in between, facing each other, making daft sounds, gulping their food one minute, chewing it to distraction the next minute. I wouldn't say it was the best meal I have ever had, he said, lifting his face from the plate of white insipid fish to stare over her head at the glass house where the branches of an old vine wormed and gnarled their way. Cauliflower needs only a little water, she said, giving Mora a hint. She wanted to sound practical so that after tea she could decently stand up and say, I'm going over to see Baba for a couple of hours. Baba, her friend since childhood, and now the wedded wife of a builder. Baba owned one ranch mink stole and intended owning several more. She'd even promised one to Kate. Baba had greenish eyes that drooped at the corners and were inclined to flashes of wickedness. An occasional blow from her husband gave to one or other of these green eyes a permanent knowingness. As if at twenty-five she realized what life was all about. She had plans for them both to leave their husbands one day when they'd accumulated furs and diamonds, just as once she had planned that they would meet and marry rich men and live in houses with bottles of grog opened and unopened on silver trays. As soon as he had put the knife and fork down and pushed the plate to the side of the table, Kate would tell him that she was going out. Then she would fly upstairs make her face up but not overdo it, wear her second best coat, carry her earrings and her fur hat in a paper bag saying it contained homemade scones for Baba, and set out in a flutter. She would put these things on as always in the ladies' room of the underground station. I think it's the coldest day we've had yet, she said, hoping for a response. The wireless says there'll be more snow, Morris said. Oh, no, Kate said, and caught a look from him that said, We are all inconvenienced by it, not just little you. Goody. Piles and piles of snow. I'll make a snowman. Cash was always threatening to make snowmen, but never did. He hatched indoors like the rest of them, waiting for spring. You weren't out at all today, she said to her husband. He wasn't working. He had saved enough money from the previous project to see them through a few months. He directed documentary pictures, but was always buying leisure, 
as if in the leisure he most found what he had been ordained to do. No, I haven't been out, he said. They were engulfed in silence. Simply to fill in the silence, she said that the oil heater in the room tended to give one a headache. Oh, well, everything has its drawbacks, he said. Each word pierced. Tonight, she would tell her friend that they must not see each other for a while. Anyhow, the joy of seeing him was diminishing, and she was more conscious of the risks than of the pleasure. She thought how it is impossible to tell in the beginning of an attraction whether it is the real thing or not. They had met at a party, and they were attracted to each other the way hundreds of people are, out of hunger.